0: Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. And look, I got hair. I used to be a, a car salesman, and then I ripped all my hair out. Just playing, just playing. But if you were in the car industry, then this episode's for you. Let's get this one on the road. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life: prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. All right, ladies and gents, look, car salesmen and mechanics have a notoriously bad reputation for customer service, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can develop the skills and teach your team to communicate more efficiently to naturally improve work and reduce conflicts with customers. Customers need to be educated so they understand the services that they need and walk away from the transaction feeling good rather than feeling ripped off. So let's talk automotive services and how to sell them with Coralie Zouin! Coralie, welcome to the program. Great, thank you for having me on, that's awesome. Oh, so, how'd you like the intro, and how, how, what do you think of my hair? I mean, you've never seen me without it, but what do you think overall?
1: Uh that's pretty great, I think I'll be there in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, you're already rocking I, I think I might it. have you're to already... adopt
0: that hairstyle soon.
1: Uh, you, you, you wear better than
0: I do. You wear better than me. All right, let's let's jump into this automotive industry. First of all, just to, to get with the stereotypes. You're you're a woman in a predominantly male driven industry. Um, what was that like for you coming up in that industry? How did that hurt or help develop your skills?
1: I don't really see myself as having, being in a unique situation, but now it's sort of being pointed out to me, the very differences Um, I have never really faced like straight on any um, discrimination or anything like that. I've always managed to have a good team around me. So I think that's one of the most important things is um, having a team that supports me and I support them and we have a, you know, it's mutually beneficial.
0: All right. I, I agree with that because uh, in today's society, it's a lot different, but you never know. Some I've I've spoken to uh, attorneys, for example, and they still have to face that same stigma that, that was around in their industry for a long time. So I wasn't sure if that was something on your side, and I just wanted to throw that one out first and foremost.
1: So let's talk about the service just industry. Com- I was going to say, I might just be completely oblivious to that because my parents actually raised me just with the idea of you can do anything just with that idea. So I might just sort of have blinders on to it as well. Just like, no, I'm just doing this. That's my thing.
0: I agree with you. And I think you actually need that. And it doesn't matter what the industry is. When you decide that you're going to be able to do something, you go out and do it. You need those blinders on anyways. Because even in my opinion, the, the way I've seen this done over and over with entrepreneurs is they come up with a great idea and then they go share it with the people they love the most. And those are the people who deflect that idea, who start poking holes in it, Tell them why it won't work and why it can't work. And then the idea never really takes form the way they want it to because they're dealing with all that. So the fact that you have blinders on and moving forward, that's
1: already amazing. Yeah, awesome. First word of advice, yeah. You can do anything. Tell the kids. Absolutely. You guys can do anything.
0: Yes, tell them, tell them, tell them.
1: Okay, let's uh, let's jump into this automotive industry.
0: Um, Give me your background in it. I mean, uh, were you in the mechanic space? Were you always in the sales side? What's your background in that?
1: So my story is kind of like a Goldilocks and the three bears kind of a story. So right out of high school in grade 12, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was kind of thinking about going into law, but the amount of schooling and debt that I'd have to get into is, you know, kind of a turnoff. So one day when I was leaving the school, there was a poster on the door for first year automotive technician course. And I saw it and something clicked. I was like, I'm going to do that. So I signed up to take the first year automotive technician course. It was like a 10 month course. We did classroom stuff in the morning and then hands on stuff in the afternoon. So it was awesome. However, I working on cars and light cars, but. I need to talk to people as well. So I was sort of missing that aspect of my life. So that's like the porridge is too cold kind of a thing. So right when I was done there, I took a sales course and got a job selling cars. So that was great. I got to talk to customers about vehicles and stuff. And I was like, okay, this vehicle is so awesome. It's easy to maintain. Look, here's how you check this and do this. And it'll be a piece of cake. It'll be, you know, low maintenance for you as well. But when people were buying cars, they weren't too interested in hearing about that stuff. (laughs) More like the features that they want on their vehicle. So that was, um, the porridge is too hot now. So after that, I got a job in the parts department at a Canadian tire here. And that was sort of like my sweet spot. Customers would bring in these weird random things off of their car. And then my job was to identify what it was and find them a new one. So I was like, sweet, this is my, this is my sweet spot. And then the manager there recognized that I had, you know, a, a knack for it, and I was enjoying it. So I got moved into the service department as a service advisor, and the rest is history. So I've been in like almost all aspects of the business.
0: I want to go back a little bit because you know you're in front of a bunch of high school seniors, and the truth of the matter is most of them, if not all of them, don't exactly know what's going to happen after high school. They know that maybe it's supposed to be college because that's what they've been told to do, but I always love to talk to different entrepreneurs to show them that there are other avenues other than the ones that are prescribed by their, you know, their teachers that are here on, on campus. So you talked about education, but you also had a little hint of something that you didn't quite say, but it's part of your story, which is experience, right? And and, and those two things kind of combine to where you are. Tell me about your education background. You, you took those certification courses. Did you ever end up going back to college or did you just kind of go the experience route and work your way up?
1: Nope. I've gone the experience route and worked my way up. Sort of the... With my education, what I'm looking at, and actually just this past year, I've started going into high schools and and, um, colleges who are helping people figure out what they want to do and introducing them to the trade. So it could be like I'll have students for an hour or I'll have them for a whole day and introduce them to automotive. And so my goal is to give them, um, even if they don't choose my trade, it's to pick up a life skill while they're doing it Mm -hmm. so look at it that way even if you know you're educating you're getting some sort of training or education try to find a little snippet of something that you can take with you like when I'm showing them about parts um, I always make sure that they're comfortable checking tire pressures because that's something that service advisors are notorious for complaining about you'll get you know grown men coming in and having (laughs) you know the girl at the reception desk go check their tire pressure so that's my goal: is making sure that people have life skills, picking up life skills along the way.
0: Yeah, at least at least knowing what you're asking for, right? You don't need a headlight fluid if you're if you're uneducated in that space. Um, let's talk about income and 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 career opportunities because obviously the the thing that we're told as students is you got to go to college to get a good job to make a good career. Uh, what's the income possibilities, especially when you're in the sales space? Um, it in automotive to to make a, a decent living is that possible or is it is it rare how how how's the income level and career opportunity in that space?
1: It will I guess at first if you're looking at sales and as a service advisor it will fluctuate greatly like. You're either making below minimum wage, and I guess we're here in Canada, or I'm in Canada, so I don't know if it, that would make a huge difference there, to over 100000 So there's huge possibilities there, and it depends if you have a knack for it and if you enjoy it. If it's something that you enjoy talking to people about their vehicles, like if you're in sales and a customer can come and tell you, what they need a vehicle to do for them. Maybe they're excited and they want to take it to the track. Maybe they need to move their family. Maybe they want to go four by fouring. And that's your thing. You really enjoy finding them that vehicle. Then that'd be a good field for you. Um, If you want to explain vehicle repairs to people, you know, save a family who's on their holiday um, and it gets stranded and needs to get their vehicle back so they can get on the road and carry on to like Disneyland. It gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling. So that's really what I enjoy about it's very satisfying to to find something and make it happen.
0: All right, let's jump into the actual uh, nitty gritty of what you're here for. Right, so you are in the automotive service and sales industry, but it's more so you're teaching other uh, other people who are in this space to improve their overall. Bottom line at the end of the day, but through their practices in customer service, so uh, I got a cousin, for example, and he works specifically on imports and he, he's there to make them faster, right? Streets to drag. And and so, you know, he was really excited when when he saw that this is going to be an opportunity to learn a little something about how do I grow my business? How do I get it so my customers are are happy and they come back on a regular basis and not even and beyond that, getting more referrals? What are some of the things that you're teaching uh, to help grow their business?
1: Um, So something that's different than like how most sales training people uh, teach advisors and salespeople is don't take no for an answer. If you heard, if you haven't heard no three times yet, then the yes will be coming. But really, that sort of has like this beating people up kind of mentality, and so we don't want to do that. We teach kids in school now that like you're if you say no, if somebody tells you no, it means no and leave them alone. So it really is conflicting to what they're teaching in school now to how people are being trained. So. What my advice is, and, and for your friend too, that's running the shop, is to really explain to the person what's happening with their vehicle, what the problem is, and what you can do to solve it. And if they have that knowledge to be able to go home to their their spouse or their parents or their friends and tell them what you've done to their vehicle in layman's terms and you know explain it costed $1,200 to do this, but I got this. So, yay, they're not then their friend can't turn around and tell them that, oh, you got ripped off or so and so can do it cheaper, you know, down the street. It's like, yeah, he maybe would do it cheaper, but he's cutting corners and he's not, uh, you know, doesn't have the same knowledge that your friend does. Your friend specializes in tuning of those vehicles.
0: Yeah. And, and well, that's that's one of the things that I think uh, is very difficult to understand. Um, why a Honda repair is going to be different than a Mercedes repair? Than it's going to be from a diesel repair, right? Like all these different types of vehicles, whether it's luxury, regular, diesel, they have a different skill set that's that's needed in order to make those necessary repairs. So, how does the general public differentiate between going to the mechanic, you know, the hole in the wall mechanic, and the guy that comes to your house? versus going to the dealership, and why is there such a big price discrepancy? I think that's where usually the public is like, hey, this is why you got ripped off, because you went to X, Y, Z. What do you think that, that issue is when we're talking about the different specialties and the different
1: pricing? For pricing, I know it's perceived that it's expensive, but I don't usually see a huge range in pricing. Usually why the customer is upset about pricing is because it hasn't been explained properly and they haven't been kept up to date. So when a customer walks in, like my first advice is when you go and you bring your vehicle to the shop and you've just told them what's wrong with it. So, okay, I need an oil change and it's, you know, making a bit of a clunk. So the person they're talking to should take that information, put it into the computer and then print off a sheet with the amount of labor that they're expecting to pay and have them sign it. So first off, the customer knows how much it's going to pay or it's going to charge or it's going to cost. Sorry. And then the advisor knows how much it's going to be. So there's no secrets there. And then when they diagnose what's going on with the vehicle, again, providing an estimate that's spot on to that customer so that there's no surprises in the end and adding it together. Right. So if they phone, it's going to be $800. Okay, great. But then when they come in, if the advisor hasn't put the diagnostic time and the oil change along with the part that needs to be changed and it actually is $975, that's how come people are getting upset.
0: Mm, But isn't it difficult though? I mean, I I know personally, uh, I had an experience recently, I was on my way to an open house and then my car decides that I push the gas and it doesn't want to go anymore. Right. And I have enough car knowledge and I don't have very much car knowledge, but I have enough car knowledge to understand that this is a transmission problem. I put it in drive and they push the gas and it doesn't go. Um, and that, that could be uh, like a very expensive repair when you start talking transmissions. Um, and I don't really understand whether it's, it's something that is going to be on an hourly, if it's going to be because of the parts themselves. So is this something that this is how they should lay out the problem of uh, the the solution to the client? Like I know the guy that I took it to, he was a he was a Nissan guy. So in my car is a Nissan. It worked out perfectly. Right. And he laid it out. He's like, look, these are what the parts are gonna cost. Right. This is what my labor is going to be. And then we're done deal. But I think the 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 hesitation comes in is, as when you get a diagnosis and the work starts happening and then you get that phone call saying, oh, by the way, did you know X, Y and Z? And I think that's where kind of as as uh, car owners and mechanics, that's where the kind of turnoff happens because we're like, look, I want my car to be back functioning. And now we have all these other things going on. Um you help explain that from a, from a automotive side, right? It's from the mechanic side. Cause I feel like they are trying to help, but it feels a lot like on the other side, like, dude, now you're there. Now you want to get more out of me. Like, how can a, how can a mechanic really clarify that up front and then avoid that feeling?
1: So I always like to, to tell people of what might happen. Like first, when I give an estimate, um, for, for fluids, like if we're doing coolant, For example, I'll put the max amount on there. So first, it can't be any more for that fluid. And just when you have that trust built up on that first sale, you know, they've perhaps come in and seen their vehicle and what's going on. Like, okay, so we need to change this part, but it's completely buried in here. And sometimes, you know, hoses and plastic bits just get old over time. So once in a while, that kind of stuff does happen when you're getting an estimate, it's always good to ask. Like, that's how I know that service advisors are doing something right when they start asking questions. Like, is it possible we could need more parts? Or why is it this amount? Do we need these things? Could it be cheaper? So those are things ask the technician when or ask the service advisor, whoever's presenting your estimate to you is to ask questions.
0: I like that. The questions are going to make the biggest difference because yeah, if you ask a little more, did you hear this sound? Is it popping like this? Is it is it possible that we're going here? Um, but when you're when we we're talking about pricing, I felt like um, I personally feel like if you tell me it's going to be $1,000 for the repair, and when I show up, you're like, look uh we started at that price point but um it didn't actually need xyz it's only going to be 800 bucks i feel like that is a win from the customer side like i came in agreeing to a grand and now it's like you you oh okay so you were actually able to save me some money versus the other way around which usually happens at the mechanic is you go in thinking it's going to be a grand and then you come out paying 1500 you know and like that's i think the 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 misconception here do you think there's a problem when they anchor if if mechanics could anchor high and then you know take things off the list as they go through or is it better to start where they think it's going to be and then add on to that
1: No that's that's definitely a great way to do it like for example many vehicles with interference engines The timing belt needs to be done, let's say around um, 160,000 kilometers or every 10 years. So they could just quote that timing belt and put it on there. However, there's pulleys and there's tensioners as well that may need to be done and definitely recommend doing them. And there's a couple of seals in that area as well that might leak. And there's a water pump, for example. So how I would quote that out is quote everything out on there that might be needed in that area. And you could always take things off later on, but this is sort of like your worst case scenario when we go in here where it could happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's definitely a, a great approach. Markets changing. Um I went looking for an electric vehicle recently and uh, I was looking at the Kia EV5. I think my wife was the one that that really liked that vehicle. And like Kia's not really on the high end spectrum of vehicles and yet the expense on that because the dealers were able to mark it up was kind of significant at this point. Um, Do you see a big, I mean, obviously we're making a big shift into electric vehicles, but on the service side, is there a big shift in servicing electric vehicles from servicing gas powered vehicles or hybrids?
1: I know it, it, they give the perception that electric vehicles are going to have less maintenance than than gas and diesel vehicles. You don't need to do the oil changes because they they don't need that. However, there are a bunch of other components. Like there's the brakes, there's the tires, there's your heating system. There's all that, those fancy computers that have gone into vehicles now. So you have all the touch screens and your um, blind spot assist. There's so many things that could go wrong. So while it doesn't need a regular oil change, it's still going to need a tire rotation, still going to need... It's bulbs to be checked, the cabin filter that filters the air before it comes into the passenger compartment. That's still going to need to be changed. So, there's, so thinking that an electric vehicle is going to be less maintenance um, isn't the best idea.
0: All right, well, that's good to know. Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things is is cutting costs on the gas, but the servicing might still. I, I, like, I, I've I've heard that I have to change my tires a lot more often on an electric vehicle than I do on a gas powered vehicle. So, good to know. Um, What's going to happen if we go to your website? If we go to CoralieZuf dot com, what do we find there?
1: Oh, Okay, um, there you'll find a link first off to purchase my book. That was my during COVID times. Um, you know, when we were all stuck at home for a little while, I finally decided to put all of my automotive knowledge into a book and listed it on Amazon and it became a multiple bestseller. So that was exciting. Um, There's a link for um, service advisors and shop owners and dealerships to, to book a time to chat with me about how they're communicating with customers and if we can make any improvements and if they'd be a good fit for my program. And then I also have a public speaking section and a blog section that links to my YouTube.
0: And who's the the ideal client that you're looking for? What kind of uh, service providers are the type that fit the criteria to work with you?
1: First off, ones that are not stuck in their ways and um, are honest. That's my first thing actually on my questionnaire and, and everything is you have to be honest. If a vehicle comes in and it doesn't need anything, then you tell the customer that it doesn't need anything. You don't need to sell them stuff for the sake of selling stuff. Um, some people may have operated like that in the past, but they need to be open to being honest. If, if you don't want to be honest, then my sales techniques are not going to work for you. I don't want to work with you because it's just sleazy. So that's great. And then, um, yeah, a willingness to learn and take um, accountability for themselves to realize that the reason they're they need to make or that they're not making sales is something that they need to learn and not blaming the customer or blaming the parts person or blaming the technician on why it's not happening, that they need to see that it's things they need to improve on.
0: So uh, sales is a self-improvement game. And it's funny because I think it's a self-improvement game, not only in sales uh, and usually in your own personal relationships. It's a self-improvement game. Uh, A lot of things that you do in life reflects on how you do things when nobody's looking. Uh, And the other part is I know you have it on your questionnaire, if you're honest, but it's kind of hard to tell to, to believe somebody who says Believe me, I'm honest. Like that's kind of the that to me, that's the first red flag. If you're telling me, hey man, trust me, dude, I'm on. I'm an honest guy. I'm like, okay, well, let's step back a little bit here. We got some more questions to ask. Well, uh, it might make but-
1: them think that this maybe isn't the program for me, right? So I'm trying to weed people out if they're going on a questionnaire and be like, okay, this it, we're not going to learn how to you know sell more coolant flushes because we're having a contest at work to see who can sell the most coolant flushes, and they're selling them to people who don't need them. So if if that's what you do, then you're not my ideal client. All right, so
0: what are some of the qualities that they need to work with uh, for themselves? If I want to become a better salesperson, what are some of the qualities that I need to focus in on to make myself a better salesperson? Assuming I'm an honest guy, right? And I and I want to help a client out, my intentions are are positive. What are some of the qualities that I need in order to be a better salesman?
1: So I kind of shift the focus from not teaching sales skills, but teaching them how to educate the customers. That's my focus. And that's where the sales will happen when the customer can understand what's going on with their vehicle and why it needs to be done. So rather than give them the, you know, if you have this word track or something like that, then they're going to buy more. Um, so my focus is on educating the customer and then giving the customer options there. Are, you can prefer you can prepare estimates many different ways. You can put parts from the dealership on there. You can put, you know, good aftermarket parts on there. You can put less expensive aftermarket parts on there. You can include things that would share labor maintenance-wise if the customer is interested in keeping the vehicle for a long time. Um, you know, these things share labor and will save you maintenance it costs in the future or just do the bare minimum because they just need that vehicle to keep going for three months or something before they're, they are they move on to something else. So the next thing is giving the customer options. So it's not a yes or a no thing. You have to do this. It's we can do it this way or we can do it this way.
0: Is I've always heard the saying, a confused mind uh, doesn't buy. Right. And and for some Sometimes having too many options is a bad thing. It's like somebody who gets a cup at the 7 eleven and goes to the fountain drink and there's like 70 different choices. Now you're like,, uh, what am I gonna get right? do I is it Dr. Pepper? Do I add the cherry? Do I add the vanilla? Do I want to put a little bit of Slurpee in there? Like it starts to get a little confusing, right? If they have too many options. Um, and I was, you know, from my background is is in uh, uh, like Facebook ads, for example. If I present to a client, I'm like, look, here's the different types of campaigns that we can do. Here are all the different options. Here are the different pay structures that we can do. I usually don't get a yes. It's more like a overload and I just, you know, basically opened up the fire hose in their face and and kind of gave them too much information. But if I give them, look, here's option A and this is what option A costs and here's option B, this is what option B costs, which would you prefer? That tends to work a lot more than, than overload of information. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. And and you probably do the exact same thing. So when you're talking to your client or your customer, and you're getting to know them, and getting to know what's important to them, like they might be a budget conscious customer, who, you know, needs to keep it under a certain amount, or they might be somebody who this is their baby, this is their car, and they're going to do anything to, to keep it in tip top shape. And they'll only use like bolts from the dealership, even <laughs> we I've encountered that sometimes as well a concours car that everything has to be pristine and come from that come from the dealership. So you'll gauge who your customer is and that'll give you an idea which two estimates to present to them.
0: Perfect. All right. Before we head out, I want to make sure that um, you, you kind of give some 17 year old advice. So if you can go back and talk to yourself as a high school senior um, and with the life experience that you have now with the path that you've been on, Uh, what advice would you give a graduating high school senior who is questioning what they're going to do here in the near future?
1: Uh, Yes, I I think about that often. So when I decided to take that automotive technician course, that was the best decision I ever made. And I kind of looked at it as even if it's not at the end of this 10 months, I'm still going to have all of this knowledge about my vehicle. Even if I decide to go into law, I will know about how to maintain a vehicle properly. So. There is a big push to try to get people into the trades. They are, they're great careers. They pay great as well. You don't have a huge um, student debt when you come out of your education. You get to go right into an apprenticeship and you're making money. Even if you decide that that trade is not for you, you still have that life experience. Like if you're looking into construction or electrical or plumbing or heating um so many different possibilities so even if you look into that and you decide it's not for you you're still going to have that experience for when you're owning your house and you can do something on your own so that would be my advice is look into the trades kind of sample if it's not for you you're still going to have knowledge that will be um a huge benefit to you in the future
0: you know there's there's a lot of things that they can take away from you right they can take away your license they can take away your job they can take away uh they can take your bank account but those skills that you develop no one can ever take those away from you those skills are the things that can help you earn another income in another career field or trade for whatever it is that you need to trade for if the zombie apocalypse ever happens seeing as we're in Halloween day right Those skills are the things that are going to take you to that next level. So you're, I I believe you're exactly right. Like uh, one of the things that I love about your story is you saw something that piqued your interest and you took action on it. Right. You didn't see something that piqued your interest and thought about it for two weeks and then, you know, did some research for a couple months and then thought about maybe signing up the next semester. You just did it. And it opened so many doors for you. And I, I feel like in today's generation, there's too many thinking about, pondering that maybe someday I might take action versus just doing it, taking the Nike approach and just doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we head out, uh, I want to make sure that uh, you get enough uh, people to, to check 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 your information out. So if people want to work with you, get a hold of you, find out more about what you do, how can they do that?
1: You can go to com and you can um, click the link to send me an email to to chat some more, you can fill out the questionnaire and we can book a call to to talk. You can, yeah, send me an email. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. That's one of the social media play- platforms that I hang out on the most.
0: Sweet. All right. Where do you? Uh, quick question. Just like hypothetical. Where do you see this automotive industry going right now? We're facing increased interest rates, uh, so making it a little more difficult to finance and purchase a vehicle. Uh, we still have supply issues, so getting a vehicle, you know, supply and demand issues are are in place. The cost is just astronomical. Uh, the need is still there, though. Where do you see this industry going? If somebody's thinking about getting into the automotive industry, what can they expect here in the near future?
1: That is a that's a very tough one, um, and we're needing to come up with creative solutions. So, if you like to solve puzzles, it's a great time to get in. It it's a bit more challenging than it was a few years ago, but it's a lot more rewarding to come up with the creative solutions when you finally find that part that hasn't been available and you need to get it from another country or something like that. Um, it makes that effort all the more rewarding.
0: Thanks Coralie for jumping on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, if you guys want to pick up her book, you guys can go to www.coraliezuef. That's C O R A L E E Z. Ueff.com scrolling across the bottom for those of you listening that's why i spelled it out for you make sure you guys check it out corley thank you again for being on the show ladies and gentlemen we'll catch you guys all on the next one have a happy halloween be safe out there don't party too much and eat all your candy before your mom sees it just playing. make sure they check it first peace and we're out it's over go home is your business in need of marketing